Welcome to Focus, a productivity podcast about more than just cranking widgets. I'm David Sparks and joined by the one and only Mr. Mike Schmitz. Hey, Mike. <laughs> hey, David. How's it going? Good. I'm really looking forward to the show today. Uh, we've got a fun guest. Uh, but before we get into that, you've got an announcement. Yeah, um, I am opening up the second cohort for the Life Theme uh, cohort, and uh, that is the personal mission statement, uh, my version of the personal mission statement. Uh, my wife and I did the the first version of this back in May. It was the the first thing that I did after I made the decision to go independent, and uh, we had a good group of people, probably about 50 people who joined us for for that one. And it was a really amazing experience. And uh, so we are going to be doing that again. The schedule's lined up. My wife is able to join me again. And so we're going to kick that off on November 13th. And uh, if you want to be a part of this one, you can find all the details at faithbasedproductivity.com slash life theme. Uh, it's $197 for the six weeks. All the calls are going to be on Mondays at 1 p.m. Central Time. They'll all be recorded. If you can't make one, that's not a big deal. Uh, however, the last one is going to be kind of the big celebration where everybody shares their their life theme. And so if you can't make that one, I would say maybe you want to wait till, till the next time around. But uh, just want to put it out there. If people are looking for some help doing this, this is a lot of fun. And uh, I will also put in a, a coupon for the, uh, the Focus listeners. So if you use the code FOCUSED, you can get 50 bucks off at faithbasedproductivity.com slash life theme. Yeah, I heard from like one of our listeners who did this course with you and told me how how much it helped him. So I, I think that uh, everybody should check it out. Uh, our guest today is Carl Stabe, and Carl and Mike are friends already, right, Mike? Yeah, I met Carl uh, through a, a mutual friend, I guess. Uh, Mike Vardy was putting together the house for us at, at Craft and & Commerce, and Mike was uh, talking to me about who else we could get to stay with us. And he's like, there's this guy, Carl. He's really cool. I think you'll like him. You okay with he stays with us? And I'm like, sure. And then, uh, yeah, we, we met and we shared lots of fancy coffee and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. when you hear each other snore, you're allowed to guest on each other's podcasts. <laughs> I feel like that's a... That should be a rule. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Carl, tell us about yourself, though. Oh, man. Uh... Where do I start? So, you know, I think one of the things that is really important for people to understand who I am is uh, I had cancer um, when I was 34. Um, so I was, whew, man, 13 years ago now. And that really shifted how I look at my priorities because I think no matter what happens, um, I'm here on this earth. Uh, because, uh, you know, medicine, uh, God, um, and uh, lots of luck, right? Generational luck. All of us are here because of a lot of luck of our parents not getting eaten by saber-toothed tigers, um, our grandparents, and so on. Yeah. But at that age, uh, you know, it's just kind of one of those, you know, what am I, what do I really want to do with my life moments? And, uh, when the doctor told me, uh, it was t t testicular cancer, um, I just broke down crying. I remember pulling off to the side of the road, um, cause it took a while to sink in and just cried. I had a two-year-old at, at home at the time. Now he's 14. And, uh, I think, 
you know, that those it's that moment that I started making shifts in my mindset, um, um, but also what I chose to focus on. And I think um, we all have those moments in our lives. We all have, you know, when we get laid off from a job, um, you know, whatever it is, we have these inflection moments that we can use to find opportunities. Um, and when I did that, I think I went from a fixed mindset to more of a growth mindset, you know, to borrow Carol Dweck, right? Uh, from her book. I talk a lot about death in the sense of how enriching it can be, knowledge of your impending doom. You know, I, the joke I say is none of us are getting out of this alive. And I get emails about it pretty often from people saying, you know, why do you keep bringing this up? You know, and I think it's the awareness of that that allows you to make a rich life. I think if you go through on autopilot because you don't realize that you have an expiration date, that's the tragedy, you know? And, yeah. and I think for, you know, for some people, I have a good friend who survived cancer and she says it's the best gift she ever had. And I, I know that that sounds very flippant, but if you knew her, you'd get it right. Because <laughs> it, it, it gave her the wake up call that she needed and her life got substantially better because of it. And, um, um, I do think there's a lot of people like you, Carl, who, who go through that and come out of it with an awareness that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, and we all have these things from small moments to big moments. Um, and it's recognizing them. It's noticing them and taking time to absorb them. We often just go on to the next thing right away, or we try to stuff it down. Um, but it's becoming aware of that. And I, I am guilty of not being fully aware of my thoughts and my feelings. Um, but through meditation, through therapy, I've been able to come more alive and be more aware so I can make these decisions much more consciously instead of just, you know, trying to avoid, you know, cer certain feelings or the way that uh, th I expect things might unfold. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that's a big point for you and uh, something that you've been through and a lot of us haven't. Mm -hmm. So good on you for turning it into a positive. <laughs> and, and so what are you doing now that you've, you've woken up and you, you've got past cancer? What, what are you doing with your time? Yeah. So I'm a little bit thick headed at times. It takes me a while to really figure out um, what I, it took me a while to figure out what I've done well, how I can help other people. Um, so uh, what I started really realizing is um, you know, I love writing, but it's really not something I'm great at. I'm good at it. And so I can use it to help me. But what I'm really good at is helping people with their processes. And so what I've noticed is as I've been coaching people, it's really helping them create routines, uh, these processes that they can use to get better at email, to um, understand how to uh, become a better leader. And it's just re being able to understand it. And I, I love the idea of SOPs. They're uh, standard operating procedures that most people know probably from the army or large organizations. But I try to get individuals to create their own SOPs uh, for their businesses, for their careers. Because when you document these things and when you write down you know, what you're doing, why you're doing it and how you're doing it, 
what ends up happening is you get much more clear. You start to see why all these things work together or don't work together. And if they don't, then you can find these patterns and start to fix them. And then you can close these gaps. And then you're more likely to stay focused on the important stuff instead of just letting it fall to the wayside or just letting the moment of the pressing need, you know, decide that you should be doing that next thing instead of really being conscious of choosing the right next action. Wait, wait a second. Carl, are you, do you have a bug in my office? Have you been, <laughs> I, I literally just, cause I'm working on a future thing and I just recorded a video about this morning about, I think something that is drastically underrated is the value of writing it down about your thoughts and your opinions and your values, your goals, your roles, the stuff that's important to you. If you think you've got it figured out in your head, um, you really don't. Um, I call it the pensive effect, you know, uh, Harry Potter, right? Um, mm -hmm. And Harry Potter, he has a pensive. It's a thing you can pull a memory out of your head and you can put it in a bowl and then you can dive in and you can watch the memory from different angles. Mm. And I think, we need, when, when you write down your thoughts, you get a pensive effect on your thoughts because you can't analyze your thoughts in your brain. You can think them, but you can't analyze and look at them. I feel like the process of writing them down gives you an insight to them that you wouldn't have otherwise. It sounds like you and I are on the same page. Yes. Yeah, they're powerful. It's really, one of my favorite things is journaling because it really helps you see things more clearly. And it helps you process things. I think uh, from an emotional standpoint, we're emotional beings and we sometimes forget in, in business or in a career, we just try to make the, the data-driven decision. Um, but a lot of our decisions are emotional and we have to realize that and journaling helps. And Mike and I never talk about journaling on this show. <laughs> never. <laughs> I, I think uh, we are uh, we are kindred spirits on that. So, but so, what are you? Because I know you do some consulting and you help people with this. How does that manifest? What when when someone hires you, what do you help them do? Yeah, so I've been helping uh, uh, this one owner. He has a bunch of hardware stores. I think he has six locations. And uh, one of the things he struggled with was helping his marketing team. Um, really flourish on their own. So as an owner, you have, have to wear multiple hats and he has a small team um, of four people and they've come to him for every decision. And so what ends up happening is, you know, he's there and then he's constantly getting distracted um, or pulled into uh, various, you know, decision-making meetings or ask for feedback. And what ends up happening is he's making all the decisions and he's not allowing his own team to thrive. And so what was what we had to do is we had to step back and we did a process audit of how he interacted with his team, um, what his expectations were. And what we did is kind of we wrote, rewrote his SOP. And so uh, standard operating procedure, I like to think of it very simple of standards is your values. Operating is the skills that you bring and the procedures is the routines you have. So we're looking at all his, his the routines that he has with his team and the way he built up, you know, this team is they always came to him. 
And instead of rewriting these rules and allowing them to start to think through what's the best way to do this, how should we advertise, um, you know, in on Google over the next three months? Uh, what should we do uh, from a Facebook standpoint? They would always come back to him. And so what we did is we helped, I helped him rewrite his SOP with his team. So he has now a new operating procedure around how he interacts. Now, like anything, this is habit change, right? So he has, has to understand where his pain points are and if they are great enough, he has to change how he does something. So what we did is we created a roadmap of like where he wants to be in like three months with his team. And so it's a slow progression. And I always like to say it's their turtle versus hare mindset. We always think it's versus like the turtle versus the hare. And I often think it's it should be the turtle and the hare because we have the turtle and the hair inside of us, right? Like we often have to be the turtle and SOPs can feel like a turtle-like process because you're actually slowing down, looking at everything, trying to rewrite it so it's better for the future. And then once you do, that's when you can turn in the hair and you can start sprinting because then his team started making decisions on their own and then what he did is he helped them create processes around reviewing their work. And so what ended up happening is he got he was able to step back, allow them to fail, which is really important, especially for a growing team. And then they had routines to iterate and improve. And then he was able to guide them instead of, you know, being the one that made all the decisions. I like that idea of removing the verses. In fact, it's like, where else in life can I remove the verses and make it yes. the end? You know? Yeah. Great, great insight there. And is how's it going? It's going really well. And so um one of the things that you know he texts me, he's like, I feel nervous now because he's he's built up that um, you know, that that habit of people coming to him. So he was very in touch with the marketing team. So then we had to create a, 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 an SOP around report structure. So how often they got back to him and reported to him and what he expected in those reports. And that's when he started relaxing. So then it really started kicking in. And within three months, they were probably like 80% self-sufficient uh, versus like I mean, he was just being pulled into their meetings constantly. This episode of the Focus Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain using code FOCUSED. Just go to squarespace.com slash focused. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, your products, services, and even the content you create, Squarespace has got everything you need all in one place. I am so in the bag for Squarespace. I feel like it is the starting place if you want to put something on the internet. Whether you want to do something with a small business, you're either setting up a restaurant, or maybe just doing something for your family, Squarespace has got you covered. With Squarespace, they've got this new thing called the Fluid Engine. It's their next generation website design system to unlock your creativity 
more easily than ever before. You start with the best-in-class template and then customize every design detail with a reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. You can stretch your imagination online with that Fluid Engine. It's built in and ready to go on any new Squarespace site. And it is democratizing. It means anybody who wants to make a beautiful website can do it without having to go hire a web guy. If you're going to use it for your business, they've got things like payment processing, which used to be really hard. But Squarespace, you just check a box. You can make checkout seamless for your customers with simple but powerful payment tools. You can accept credit cards, PayPal, Apple Pay, and offer customers the option to buy now and pay later with Afterpay and ClearPay. And if you want to get analytics, it's built right in. You learn where your site visits and sales are coming from and analyze which channels are most effective to improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or most popular products and content. I built my first Squarespace website over a decade ago. Since then, I've built a bunch more for families and friends and people setting up businesses. I've turned a lot of people onto it because it's such an easy recommendation. I love that I can use it for something I make, but I can also recommend it without reservation. So go over to squarespace.com slash focus right now for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash focus and use that offer code focus to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for the show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash focus and the code focus when you decide to sign up and get that 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of the Focus Podcast and all of Relay FM. You you were talking to us as we uh, prep for the show about the idea of small processes for big success. What does that mean to you? Over time, I think we've built up a lot of routines in our life. And uh, as you look at all the different things that you've done, and you try to understand how they all fit together, you start to realize that, you know, these processes add up, but you've gone on autopilot, right? And you've done these things the way you've always done them. Maybe you've done email a certain way for the last five years, 10 years. um, And then uh, you don't step back and look at, is this still working for me? You know, when you upload a podcast, you have a process, right? From recording to editing to show notes and on. Uh, But we don't often revisit these things and say, okay, what can I do? And I like to think of it as a pie, right? You know, there's many slices of the pie in our business from marketing, sales, uh, you know, to accounting, uh, to operations, all these things are slices. And we should be on a regular basis pulling out slices and looking at them and then taking a little sliver of that slice and saying, okay, this is important. You know, I don't do enough with my accounting. I don't check it as often as I should, especially small business owners or, you know, um, people who, you know, have these small teams and they're just going, 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 trying to find that next client. Um, but when you step back and you're like, oh, wait, like I'm wasting time doing these things for 20, 30 minutes um, a week, that's time that you can get back. Or you're not doing enough to- enough review, so it's that balance, 
And then you end up saying, oh man, like I'm not doing enough with my accounting and I'm not really knowing where my cash flow is coming from. Well, all these processes add up. And if we don't review them, then we end up making bad choices. So we just pull stuff out, you know, like your social media. How do you, how do you look at that? Or if you have a team, um, you know, let's say you're a leader in a, in a large corporation, how often do you meet with your people, your direct reports? Is it once a month? And is it working? You know, do you ask them? And it's just taking that time to review those things and then saying, okay, what's small thing that I can do to improve this? And it's just like anything. It's being a good scientist, you know, being uh, good at your career, you know, really understanding um, what you do well so you can do more of that and then eliminating the stuff you don't do as well. And like you said, like from whoever's listening, if you're uh, a secretary, if you're in sales, these are things that you can pull out, you know, like look at your sales process. You know, if you're, uh, you know, looking at your CRM and you're doing it a certain way, you know, there's, you can look, go to another salesperson and say, how are you doing this? And all of a sudden you might find a little nugget to apply. And now that little change that you've added uh, or, you know, maybe remove from a certain part and you've added something in its place now, you know, gets you an extra five uh, meetings uh, per month. And it's these little things that we're doing that add up. And then instead of just like, oh, I got an extra five calls per month. What you do is you put your, you try to create, you pull out another little sliver, right? You know, and you say, okay, now I'm going to work on this. And, you know, I know James Clear talks about this, but it's like the 1% rule. And the idea is you try to improve just very incrementally. And before you know it, um, you're, so you're a lot better after just six months than you are, you know, um, prior. And all of a sudden, you're making progress. Now, this comes back to journaling. You've got to notice this progress. Otherwise, you fall back into bad habits. And I think that goes for all of us, whether it's working out, whether it's looking at your sales processes, looking at that stuff, taking a pause and saying, oh, wow, like, look how far I've come. You know, for myself, like, I used to be terrible at gratitude. I was, I did not appreciate other people as, as much as I should. So I put myself on a gratitude diet. And one of the things I did was, um, you know, once a week, I would thank everything for like a whole day. I'd thank the doorknob and I thank my car for turning on little things that added up. I would thank people. I would text people. I would say, okay, for this week, I'm going to text one person a day for a whole week. What I'm doing is I'm training myself to be more grateful. And now, now it's a strength of mine. Like, and that did not come easy. My wife will attest. I'm the worst gift receiver. I used to be the worst gift, gift receiver that anyone has seen because I, you know, I'd find faults in gifts or I'd be like, ah, oh, this isn't the one that I wanted. Um, but over time and practice, I've gotten better. And I think the people who are listening, it's this incremental approach that can really make that difference. Like, man, after a year, if you just give yourself like 
once a month, you t- pull out that tiny little sliver of whatever you're doing in your career and you want to get a little better at it. Watch what happens when you just do that once a month and you make that a focus, man, your whole world changes. It's interesting to me, the relationship between process and gratitude. I mean, you're using them interchangeably as you speak, but I'd never really made that connection before, but I'm sorry, I misspoke. Uh, The process and habit you're using Mm -hmm. uh, interchangeably as we speak, but I feel like it is... um, there's something to that, right? I mean, because uh, they both are, they both have some of the same features. Like you have a process, whether you intentionally made it or not, just like you have habits, whether you intentionally make them or not. And then it's up to you really to take ownership of that and say, well, maybe I should be more intentional about my processes slash habits and, um, and then see what comes of that. Mike, have you ever thought about that? How close those terms work together? Yeah, I uh, did a session for the Focus Course Academy this last week, and uh, it was Habits Week. And uh, I made my uh, very pointed argument that goals are stupid <laughs> yeah. because uh, you are where you are because of the habits and the that you've established and the choices that you made previously um we get so anchored on these outcomes that we want to achieve and really if we just do what we know to do and pay attention to the process then the score takes care of itself um but i am kind of curious you know if you're trying to change your your processes you want some better outcomes but you feel overwhelmed because everything is broken how do you pick the one to work on uh how do you select that and how do you how do you know where to start that's a great question. Um, so most of the time you just look at the, your priorities. Like you look at the top five to 10 things. And I think, I think Warren Buffett's famous for this. He'll talk to, you know, what are your top 20 priorities? And Warren um, Buffett will ask somebody that and they'll say, oh man, like I got all these things, you know? Um, and then he's like, okay, what I want you to do is eliminate 15 of them. And he's like, how can I do that? You know? And, um, and then, uh, like, and then Warren Buffett's like, okay, now you got your top five. I want you to eliminate two more. So you just have three and ideally you probably one main focus, right. Should be kind of that North star for you. But the idea is taking time, you know, going into turtle mode, slowing down, looking at all the things that you have to do um, and then coming back to your North star of like, okay, where do I really want to go? Where do I want my career to go? You know, let's say you're a director in uh, IT and you're, you, you lead a team, you know, what are all the things that make your team flourish? Um, And then you look at all those priorities that you have, but usually and it comes down to the 80-20 rule, right? Uh, probably have talked about this before, but 20% of your effort get 80% of your results. Well, it's just taking that time to look at all those things that you do and then saying, okay, well, I'm trying this, doing this thing with my team. That's not working. We're doing this. This is working well. And then you start to look at, okay, what is driving those? Is that are those things driving the results that we're looking for? And then when you 
look at that and then you can say, okay, what's my top priority and what is the task or the procedure that I have in place to align with that? That's where I would start because if you know that you're trying to reach this goal, you're trying to help your team, um, you know, be more efficient, you know, 10% more productive, whatever your goal is, then you have to say, okay, that's most important to me. Well, let's look at the processes that I have around it. And then, then you can say, this is the one driving the most, you know, can we improve this one? And then you just kind of go down the lane, those, you know, top three things. Usually that first one can always be improved. And then you just start to dissect it and you start to map out those processes. And then you start to see the gaps and where those gaps are. That's when you can say, yeah, oh, okay, we're not doing a good enough job communicating with our partners and it's causing delays. So we have to do a better job and then set expectations of when we expect certain information back. And little things like that, you can you can cut off days a month, um, especially in a large organization where you know sometimes you're waiting for a week for a response, right? And so then you can start to create little processes, little SOPs that say, from now on, we're going to have it, have our response, have, you know, this format. And then we're going to send a date of like an ask, can you get us, get us a response by this date? And then what ends up, usually what ends up happening is you start to, you might not get the result that you want. So then you have to say, okay, why? And then you dig in and then you start to say, okay, that's not working. Let's try this. And then over time, within usually within about three months, you start to, you really start humming. And then that's when you see that progress and you say, oh, okay, I, I, over three months, we made this improvement. And to your point of feeling like you got a hundred things to focus on, then you can say for now, like Warren Buffett, just focus on that one thing. And then you can pull out another slice and say, okay, now we can work on this part. What about personally? You mentioned the, that you used to be bad at gratitude. Now you're good at gratitude. Uh, how did you identify that gratitude was a thing that you were going to try and consistently get better at? Uh, I'm guessing there was probably like an inciting incident, or maybe you did start with a list of 20 things that you wanted to change about yourself and you whittled it down. I don't know. <laughs> No, it's a it's a great question because it did. It started. Um, I've done a lot of study on happiness uh, and gratitude. Is the is the usually a foundational um, part of happiness? If you can be grateful in the moment, you know. For example, my car broke down in Edmond, Oklahoma, uh, twelve hours from our house, on our way to a Thanksgiving uh, vacation at a Harry Potter house in Missouri. And um, instead of allowing the moment to overwhelm us, I was grateful. I was grateful that the family was okay. I was grateful that I could afford to uh, have the car fixed. We actually had it shipped back to San Antonio and fixed in San Antonio. Um, So we didn't have to fly back up and get the car. Um, But that took a lot of practice, right? And coming back to your point of where this come from, um, my dad uh, passed away seven years ago and I flew up to see him. 
Um, and he was in the ICU unit. And I remember just walking into the room and seeing my tough German father who used to swat bees with his hands and his hands would puff up, you know, like balloons. And I'm like, this dude's crazy. But he was, and you could, I, I was, I was shocked. You know, you probably, he could probably see on my face, the shock of like, um, you know, where he was this, you know, he was an electrician. So he had big forearms and he was super strong. Um, but he was just, he kind of turned to jello almost just very bloated, um, very weak. And, uh, and I remember him, he was complaining about something and I saw myself kind of that fast forward, like 30 years into the future. And I was like, I could see myself complaining in that moment too, but it's almost uh, uh, that talk about inflection moments. Like when I had cancer, there was just that moment of like, how do I want to be in that situation? Well, if I want to be somebody who is grateful to have been alive, to uh, have done the things that I've done, I have to start now working on this gratitude. I have to start being more grateful for the opportunities that I do have. And uh, that was the catalyst for me really deep diving into gratitude and really trying to create processes that allow me to build up those habits. I love that idea that you did with the, uh, with like having gratitude week where you thank the car and everything. That's the exact kind of hippie nonsense that I could get into, but (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people would be like, that's, that's nuts, but I, I can see how it would affect you in in a positive way. How did you stumble on that? I kept a gratitude journal, um, before my father was passing and uh, it, I, it never stuck. And what I realized is I needed like that immersion therapy, you know, like I, you know, people are scared of spiders. Well, go and, you know, be around spiders for days and days and days until it's, it doesn't affect you. So I was kind of that, uh, positive immersion of gratitude where I was like to really get myself to shift uh, into a more grateful mindset. I just had to immerse myself in it. And I was like, how could I do that? And I wrote ideas down, you know, um, all kinds of things. You know, I remember I, so I wrote a book called bring gratitude because it was me focusing my, my mindset after while, when I flew back, my dad, um, I would call my dad every day. And it was those, those moments when I would call him in the morning before work and, uh, I read him a joke and he would, he'd usually laugh. And I remember one time he didn't laugh. He just didn't have the strength. And, uh, that, that to me was like, oh, I really, I'm starting, I'm starting to feel more grateful that I had the dad that I did instead of because my dad was a tough German man that um, didn't didn't really allow his kids to speak up when spoken to. He didn't really um, ask for your opinion. Um, he he was uh, you know terrible at thanking you if you helped him. Um, but I realized he also taught me so many things, and I could focus on the negatives, but uh, I wanted to focus on the positives and. I realized when I called him that 
that morning that I was starting to shift my mindset and coming back to realizing that what I was doing was working. And then that's when everything clicked over because I was like, oh, this is working. And then I went deeper and just started, you know, doing little things like the the seven days of gratitude. Um, you know, I, I uh, would text people. I just tried to do as much as I could, as often as I could. So my brain then, yeah, I think, you know, you've heard the old adage, uh, synapses that fire together, wire together. That's what I was going for. And I just, I overdid it. I overdosed on gratitude, but it allowed me to tip the pendulum far enough where I began to change and improve in that area. And did you have any sort of way of tracking your progress with this? Or was it just one day you, you realized I'm reacting very differently than I would have previously? That's, that's another good question. Cause I think what I did is I actually tracked my mood on, uh, at the end of each day I'd rate my day. So, uh, I think I ended up tracking it for almost a year. Um, and I remember I was steadily around like five, five and a half. Um, and then slowly I started increasing that, um, through the, these practices. So I was up a six, I was at a seven, um, and I was then I was at an eight and then I started asking my kids, I was like, how would you rate your day on a scale of one to 10? And my, my sons would be like, it was a seven or an eight. And I was like, ah, it's like a 9.2 for me. And they're like, dad, it's always a nine something with you. Like, don't you ever have a bad day? I'm like, I'm lucky to be here, you know? And so just trying to teach them, you know, those values as well. This episode of Focus is brought to you by Indeed. When you're faced with what might be considered aggressive hiring goals, you're not worried because you know you don't need a miracle. What you need is Indeed. Indeed is a hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for that perfect candidate with all the right skills, you can use Indeed's powerful hiring platform and it can help you do it all. Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools that help you find matched candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their exact job description the moment that they sponsor a job, according to Indeed data in the U.S., Indeed's hiring platform is really great. I've used it myself several times in the last several months because they do the hard work for you. Indeed shows you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster and you don't have to sort through hundreds or even thousands of resumes. Even better, Indeed is the only job site where you only pay for the applications that meet your must-have requirements, making it an unbelievably powerful hiring platform, delivering four times more hires than all the other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest in 2019. So join myself and more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash focused, F-O-C-U-S-E-D. This offer is good only for a limited time. So claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash focused. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash focused to support the show by saying that you heard about it here on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our thanks to Indeed for the support of the Focus Podcast and all of Relay FM.
One of the things that you talk about when you consult with people is is looking through patterns and opportunities. And I, I think so much of what you talk about is observing oneself or observing your company. Um, explain to me how you do that. Yeah. I, I think uh, when people start to step back and really look at uh, the processes that they have in place, you can't help but see patterns. Can't help but really notice um, how certain things are working and certain things aren't. And the key part of all this is consistency, right? Like you have to have processes in place that allow you to step back a good example of that, I, I coached a client uh, and he he taught me because one of the things he says is uh, every day he'd write down things that he appreciated about his employees. So at the end of the day, I think it was like 4.15, um, he had a block of time. I think it was just like 15 minutes from 4.15 to 4.30, he would write down the things that he appreciated about his employees. And he did that every day, Monday through Thursday. And then on Thursday, what he would do is he would send out appreciation to all his employees. And what that did for him was allowed him to show how much um, he appreciated his people, but he also was really in touch with his employees. So it wasn't, nothing really caught him by surprise because he focused on what they were doing and how they were doing it. And by doing that, or having that process in place, um, his teams were always at the top of, you know, productivity, um, you know, of being able to meet goals again and again, and it helped him get promoted often. Uh, and so um, what was really interesting is because of all of that, he could see the patterns in 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 people. He could notice, you know, when they had dips uh, in their productivity, when they were a little off track, um, and so he was able to have these conversations instead of like, you know, these regular meetings that you had to meet or uh, end of the year reviews. He would do them on a regular basis because he was noticing these things that these people were doing he was you know of course noticing the things that were they were doing well but as a boss you have to notice what's not going so well as well and so when he did that he started to um you know have these conversations and he could coach people very quickly it wasn't like they'd have to sit down for an hour and say these are the things that you're doing wrong and this is what you need to improve. It'd be little quick conversations. He'd say like, Hey, in this last email, I noticed, uh, you know, you, you didn't have, you know, the breakdown of, of, of the work that we were doing, you know, can you be a little more detailed? Um, and this is why we need you to do that. And people would be able to correct very quickly. And it's these patterns that we can do. And even in our own career, you know, uh, if we notice the things that we're doing well, how can we do more of them? You know, I, at the beginning, I talked about, you know, how I've come to help people with processes. This didn't come 
right away. Like I said, I had dreams of being the next Dr. Seuss, right? I thought, okay, if I could write, you know, uh, the next JK Rowling, but it, it didn't fit my skill set. And, you know, it eventually I, I noticed these things. I'd made submissions. I wrote things. I went to writing clubs and I didn't get the feedback that I wanted. And I started to see these patterns. And so slowly I started going to, into more design. But I'm not a good visual designer, but I'm really good at service design, process design. And because of that, I've been able to slowly tweak my career in that direction. And now, you know, the, the client list that I have, the people that I've been able to work with, it lights me up. And, but this has taken time. It's taken me 20 years to figure these things out. And But it's because I journal. It's because I'm creating SOPs for myself like a nerd, right? I'm like writing SOPs. Um, you know, I I have a, a, a VA that I have. It's only like 10 hours a week, but I have SOPs uh, that I give her on a regular basis. Um, and then I make tweaks to them. And then I, I ask her, what does she like and what doesn't she like about her work, right? I And just a side note, I think people who have, if you if you're listening to this and you make over a hundred k a year, you should have some sort of assistant, even if it's just part time, ten hours a week. You're paying fifteen hours, uh, you're paying them fifteen dollars an hour. You know, let's say they're over in the Philippines or even here, if you're paying them twenty twenty five, just to help you with email, help you with scheduling, um, those little things to allow us to focus back on the things that we really do well. But to me, that's where SOPs are so important because you're you're helping people do a, the job uh, to the standard that you expect. Um, and that is where you really start to save a lot of time. The I, I never really thought about uh, the process as a form of design, but I like that. Uh, I feel like that's, kind of me too. My previous role was as an integrator. So it was all about process and operations and stuff like that. And I always just kind of viewed it as like experimenting or maybe like a scientist, you know, but I, I never made the connection to, uh, to design, but you really are designing the way that the company or the organization works. And, uh, I think that mindset is, is uh, helpful even on a personal level. Um, obviously with like a, a family or a significant other, it can, it can apply, but it probably applies, uh, individually too. And, uh, the, the same skills of being able to spot the opportunities and the, the patterns and, and figure out the, the tweaks and the, the experiments and the, the things, the little fixes to add, add up to the, the 1% results, um, it's a pretty fascinating idea. I'm kind of curious how do you have any tips for people who um, are trying to delegate something to someone else? You mentioned everyone over making over a hundred K should get an assistant for at least 10 to 15 hours a, a week and, and delegate some of this stuff. But I've seen people try to do this and um, sometimes they get in their own way. You know, they, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They feel like they can do it better than anybody else. So they, don't delegate effectively. And then of course, when it fails, they say, see, I told you so. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think 
what it comes down to is really is being clear on what your expectations are. Um, I think we often say, okay, um, you know, uh, I have an assistant and they, you know, uh, find potential clients for me and what I'm looking for. And she'll come back with uh, usually a list about 15 to 20 people. And I have to then kind of filter through it and give her that feedback. But what I've learned is if I write an SOP and I write, you know, what it is that I need, the steps that, um, that I've done to accomplish this goal, um, and why I'm doing it, right? So they understand the vision behind it. Because I think this is what a lot of people, you know, it's like, oh, here's your checklist. Now do these things, go find these people. This is what, here's the parameters. Um, and then um, put them in Excel file and then send it back to me, um, which is fine. Uh, but to really get good at delegating, um, that requires understanding that person on the other end and how they're perceiving this work. A lot of times um, they're confused and they're maybe afraid to ask questions. Um, so what you do is you write this thing and, and then uh, the SOP, and then you say, you know, I expect you to improve this process. I don't want this just to be the same way all the time. I want us to work together. And what you're doing is you're setting the expectations of where you want the work to go as well. Because right now it might be okay, but what happens if she has an idea or he has an idea uh, that's even better? Now you're not just utilizing them to do the task, you're utilizing them to help you make the task better. And I think that's where good leadership comes in, right? It's not just here, do the thing. It's Here's how we do the thing. This is why we're doing the thing. And this is the mission behind it. But then I want you to own it. I want you to do a, this job, but do it even better, you know, uh, from month to month. And let's see if we can really level up together. And you're teaching them skills as well as them, you know, teaching you and, and giving you better output. Now it's harder. This is the upfront work. This is the, the turtle type of work, right? You have to write these SOPs. You've got to really think of why this work matters and what are the steps that you think that they should go through or that you've gone through and now you're just writing them down and now that you can pass it off to them. And then eventually what you do is you have an SOP library. You have all these different SOPs and they stack up. So if she's doing something and then you know, uh, she comes back and delivers and then she has an idea and you can say, oh, great. Can you update the SOP library or update that SOP? And, you know, let's, I like that idea. Let's improve it. And what you're also doing is you're showing them appreciation. You're saying, wow, great job. You found a new way to do this. This is fantastic. And you're noticing that. And that makes people, you know, they're people really can't distinguish, uh, the brain can't distinguish between a raise and a compliment. If you show somebody appreciation, it is like getting a raise. And that appreciation, that dopamine hit can last for weeks. And so if you figure out how to do that and get them on board, and they might 
never do the job as good as you, but if they're 90% there, you've saved yourself hours a week. You might be able to spend more time with your family. You might be able to uh, focus on higher leverage activities. Um, the list goes on and on, but it's really just take doing that upfront work. And this is where I think a lot of people get tripped up. I think you made this point at the earlier is you like, or you try these things and they don't work. And then we often either blame the other person or we blame ourselves, but either way we're blaming instead of figuring out what's that step we can take. What can, where can we find that, that next experiment to really help us grow? And that's when you can really create this really cool synergetic, synergetic relationship. Is that even a word? <laughs> relationship that where you grow together. I am a violator here, Carl. I, if for some reason, I, I am totally sold on the idea of a virtual assistant. I've tried like three times mm-hmm. and my failure is always me and upfront. I just, I can't figure out what they're going to do. And then when I figure out what they're going to do, I don't give them good instructions and it's just never worked for me. And one of these days I'm going to re- maybe I'll call you and hire you. I, I, someday I've got to figure this out. Cause I do think that you're right. A lot of us, it, it is affordable to get a virtual assistant at this point, uh, even for a small amount of time. And that can give you more time to focus. That's why we're here, right? Mm-hmm. We want to be more focused. Well, one of the ways you become more focused is you spend less time on nonsense that you can give to somebody else. But for mm-hmm. some reason, I cannot get over that hurdle. I would love to help you. Yeah, I, this is one of my, um, I, I think it's one of my favorite parts of the work that I do because it does free up so much time. But you're right. It's that upfront work. It's that I've got to you know, dig into this stuff, figure out the best way to explain it, and then figure out who to hire. So there is a lot. And it's uh, it's common. This is a lot of people that I work with uh, say that same thing. But it's it's really it's creating that SOP. Let's say you do one a month, right? And now you have a library. After six months, you say I'm going to create one a month for six months. Now you have six SOPs that you can hand off to somebody. So you're building up. You're building up that that muscle of creating these SOPs. And then you're setting a deadline of, I'm going to hire somebody uh, on February 1st, because now I have this library of SOPs that I can hand off to them. And then what's cool is they start to find ways to improve too. That's that's when it becomes magical, because it's not just you saying, here, do it, this, do these things. Um, it becomes a relationship and they start to find ways to make things even better for you. And I, I'd never thought of that, making the procedures without having anybody hired. That's actually not a bad idea because mm-hmm. then you can see, well, here's something that I don't really like doing. Is it something I yes. can off and, and we'll, how would I document that? And, and then, then when they show up, you don't have to do the mad scramble to figure it out. You, you already have a list of tasks. Nice, nice idea. What do you uh, think are the key components of a an SOP? Because an SOP sounds like a very businessy, formal term, and I think the picture people get in their heads is that this is a really complicated document, and it's just more work than it's worth to even put it together. But it really doesn't have to be that bad, does it? Yeah, 
It doesn't. So it's actually the army started uh, SOPs and uh, they started it because they needed to be more efficient. Um, and probably one of the most efficient and most communi- communicative organizations in the world is the uh, the army. And they have, you know, I don't know, maybe they're the largest organization in the world because their budget is so large. Um, but the idea is creating an SOP in very small chunks. You don't want the SOP to be any more than maybe 10, 20 minutes long and task-wise. You want it to be short because what you're trying to do is say, here's here's what I want, right? And so what you do is you title it and uh, you you understand where this fits into the larger vision of your company, of course. And that then you say, so why does this matter? And this is important. I think a lot of people write SOPs. They don't put why. And what I mean by why is like, if it's a sales SOP, you know, a certain way that um, you reach out to uh, potential new clients. Um, why does it matter? Well, if we are able to close more accounts, um, we can grow the business um, and we can all make more money. Let's say that that might be the why, right? But the idea is whoever's getting it understands like how their work fits into the larger mission and vision of the company, which is really important because it's not just some abstract idea of like, do this task. They understand why and how it fits in. And then what you do is you start to look at, um, you know, what the the overall, you know, list of things that uh, this document needs and uh you would you would want just a a step by step and this is uh, what's really important so let's say um sop for uh, editing the podcast right and you send it off and uh usually the person that does it does it a certain way um but have and this is what's uh, nice so if you have somebody edit it or if you edit it have them document it and then once you see all these steps, you can start to look for efficiencies like, oh, like we can remove that or, oh, we should really also be doing this. You start to see little things that you can improve. But the idea is try to do present moment, how things are are working. And as you do that and you can see the step by step process that everything is, like I said, don't say everything about the podcast, like from recording it all the way to promoting it. The idea is small chunks. And then, because you could probably write this, you know, SOP in, you know, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 minutes, right? If you do it, right? Now, if somebody else does it, but at least the the steps, you know, you know, how does this work? Um, and then what you do is you have a FAQ at the bottom, frequently asked questions, because as you hand off this work, you're going to notice people have questions. They hand it off. Well, if I edit it like this, like, what do I do here? Then you can you can capture all those. Um, and then if you can, link it to uh, a file structure. So if there's another step that they need to do, then it can you keep it in sequence. So then at the bottom, the next SOP, they would then say, now... The next step is this, and that's that would be a whole separate document. And the and the reason is for that is uh, 
if you if you keep it short and small and you keep it easy to understand, then you can pull that one thing down, look at it, review it. And I, I, depending on the SOP, but I say at least once a year, you should be reviewing your SOPs to really make sure it still makes sense. Because, you know, uh, let's say IA, artificial intelligence takes over. Uh, and uh, now you can just say, hey, computer, uh, do this. You don't really need the same level of SOP. You don't need them to edit it. Now this uh, AI can do it for you. Um, so that is like, you know, something that you can then say, oh, this completely changed. We can update it or we can say, okay, yeah, you know, just here's how we send it to the AI, you know, machine to uh, edit the podcast. But the idea is to keep it short, keep it small, keep it focused. And then you start, and this is just like anything, you start to see like, oh, I'm I'm learning from this. I'm I'm able to see these little gaps. Um, and that's when you start to reward. It's like that uh, mental reward, right? Because you're like, oh, I'm making progress. And back to, you know, doing these in advance. You just create a few and then you create forward momentum. And then that's when you start to realize this is not that hard. <laughs> it's just that, well, I've made a mountain out of a molehill. This episode of Focus is brought to you by Harvard Business Review. Harvard Business Review is the leading destination for smart management thinking. And I'm thrilled to have Harvard Business Review as a sponsor because I've been a subscriber to Harvard Business Review for quite a while. I bought a subscription in my previous gig as an integrator at the digital marketing agency. I remember walking into a leadership team meeting with a consultant that we were working with, and he handed us a copy of an article from HBR by Patrick Lencioni, one of my favorite authors, called Make Your Values Mean Something. It was a great article about building a solid company culture, something that we were struggling with at the time. Now, this article is a little bit older, but it got me curious what other kinds of articles I could find on HBR, and I subscribed immediately. And I've continued my subscription, even though I don't work at the day job anymore, because Harvard Business Review isn't just for business professionals. It's really for anybody who wants to up their leadership game. They've got a whole bunch of different categories and a whole bunch of different articles that you could choose from. And one of the things that I love about HBR is that they talk about the things that are relevant now. For example, there was an article not too long ago called It's a Time for Boards to Take AI Seriously. And it talks about the practical uses of artificial intelligence, much like we talked about on a recent episode of Focused, not just the pie in the sky stuff that people tend to be scared of. But it's a really important topic for a business or an organization because you have to figure out how to not kill your current business while adapting for the future. It's a very fine line that you have to try to balance. And the article does a great job of breaking down the important things that you need to be thinking about if you want to keep your company as relevant today as it is tomorrow. These folks are widely known as the leaders in business leadership information, and they have a lot of sources. Most people know about their flagship magazine, but they also have their website, which is hbr.org, and a podcast like this one, so you'll have interesting articles for your downtime and a podcast to get you ready for work during your daily commute. And you'll learn practical advice that you need on the stuff that actually matters in business, like leadership, management, and strategy, and get actionable tips that you can actually implement. You can expect transformative content like organizational change, what's derailing your company's transformation, leadership and managing people, what makes a leader, and the future of work, nine trends that will shape work in 2023 and beyond. 
And now premium subscribers can access hundreds of Harvard Business School real-world case studies. From innovation in action to managing a social media crisis or managing difficult employees, their real-life scenarios give you invaluable access to lessons from real business leaders. Those kinds of insights are not something you can get a hold of very easily, and I have found them very helpful. While much of the Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up on their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. So go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code FOCUSED, F-O-C-U-S-E-D, right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code FOCUSED to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business today. If you're looking to develop your leadership or business skills, this is a great opportunity to invest in yourself. Our thanks to Harvard Business Review for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Carl, what does focus mean to you? Good question. Focus <laughs> to me is doing the essential things well. And what I mean by that is really honing in on your strengths um, and kind of coming back to delegating, right? You know, we if if we're if I'm really good at, you know, working with clients, helping them with processes, and not so good at uh, editing my podcast or, um, you know, working in, in my CRM or sales, I need to figure out how I can do more of that high leverage activities um, so I can really focus on um, getting the results that, that I would like. And the same thing, even if you have a day job, you know, um, you might, if you notice a lot of people get hired in the director roles and they don't like leading people, it gets harder, it gets messier. Um, some tough choices need to be made. You might say, well, I want a principal role. I want a lead role, but I don't have to. Uh, I might take a small pay cut or I might take a pay cut, but I'm much happier and I'm doing the things. I'm focusing on what matters and what I'm good at and not just doing what I think I should be doing and living life from other people's expectations. Yeah, that's like a problem in Silicon Valley. A lot of these tech companies have people who are very good programmers and engineers. And because they're so good, eventually they get to a point where they've, they've maxed and the next step for them is to become a supervisor of people. So what are they doing is they're managing people, something that they've no experience with. And they're not programming the thing that they love and they're good at. And um, that was causing all sorts of problems. So the companies are now building tiers where you go up the pay scale and, and um, you know, you go up the level without becoming a manager. And if you want to become a manager, then you go through a different track where you get a different set of training and skills. But it's very easy to in most of the world to, to not have that option. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things you said during the show that I didn't follow up on that I really enjoyed was the manager who was writing notes to the employees of gratitude. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that everybody should pay attention to and kind of audit your relationships. I, I noticed like with some people in my family, for instance, a few years ago that I only talked to them when there was a problem. You know, and it doesn't have to be a serious problem, but like there's something I need your help with or something you need my help with, uh, whether it just be planning to meet for a, 
a holiday or, you know, somebody died or whatever, but we only talk because there's a purpose. And I, I realized that was a mistake. So I made a list of those people. And now I have a list where I call them routinely. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not a pest, but I call them routinely. And, and it was funny because the first few times I do it, that I'd call them, they say, Hey, what, what's up? What do you need? You know? (laughs) And, and I'd say, Oh, nothing. I just wanted to see how you are. And, and you could tell that would take them aback because for years I'd been abusing the relationship. I only calling them when I needed something or they, you know, and now when I call them, they, they, you you can tell that they don't expect me. It's not going to be a transaction. It's going to be a conversation. And I think in both work and personal life that that can be a, a very nice way to improve your relationships and improve yourself along the way. Yeah. That's a great routine. And I think that's basically like a, a little mini SOP, right? Like, you have this list and you maybe every Sunday you pick a person from that list and then you rotate it, right? Yep. And it could be every Sunday you block out at 10 a.m. to make a call or 1 p.m., whatever it is. Um, and then you try as best you can to stick to that routine. It's not always easy, you know, and Jerry F- Seinfeld, is, you know, always gives the advice to young comics. He's like, just write a joke a day. That's it write a joke a day. Every day you write a joke, mark it off on your calendar. And what that does is you just start to build that habit. And then like you is like you, at first it feels weird. It feels a little awkward. And then over time it starts to add up. And now you have a relationship with that person that's built around much more of a a loving, uh, caring, mutual love for each other instead of, Hey, I need something from you. I love that. I, I, I just want to follow you around Carl for a day and just peek at all your SOPs. I feel like it would be fascinating. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I'd be happy to share some with you. (laughs) Where does focus get hard for you? Hmm. One of the things I, I struggle with is um, if I hit something hard, my ego will start to shut me down. Um, You know, that, that negative inner voice might be like, ah, you know, this is too hard. You shouldn't do this right now, you know? Um, And that might mean just me, you know, going to the bathroom three times in an hour because I'm just like not able to work through this difficulty. Or I wonder if, you know, maybe I need a cookie. I'll go to the the pantry and, and find something. And what I found is, you know, that awareness, that ability to sit in my uncomfortableness and not put that self-induced pressure on myself to be something um, that I'm really not in that moment, right? So, you know, coming back to slowing down um, and really being a little bit more methodical has then allowed me not to feel that pressure of like, I've got to get this done in the next hour. It's really about focusing on my priorities and saying, I need to do this thing. And um, sometimes it requires me consciously taking my dogs for a walk, or it requires me saying, I'm going to do 20 minutes of meditation. I'm 
stepping back instead of just doing that automatic, you know, oh, I have to go to the bathroom or go to the pantry or, you know, open up YouTube and um, distract myself. I'm trying to be conscious and say, should I be sitting here right now? Should I be sitting in this uncomfortableness? Um, I'm trying to write another book. And uh, it's very common for me to just all of a sudden I'm out of my chair, heading out the door of my office. And I'm like, "Uh oh, you know, my ego's, you know, getting a little fearful right now. And then I'll stop and I'll be like, what do I need right now? And that question's a powerful one. And it might just be me saying, it's okay, Carl. It's okay not to be able to know what to write next. But just sit back down, try a little bit more. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm trying to be, um, you know, that parent that I wished I had as a kid and just allowing myself to, you know, encourage myself and understand this is a self-awareness game. And if I want to, to do the things that I want to do in this life. And I want to um, make an impact. Uh, you know, I've got to be uncomfortable. I've got to try these things that are probably going to flop. But if I, if I don't do them, I'm going to regret it. And that allows me to kind of sit back down and get back to work. And, you know, if, if, I'm, if I do that twice or three times and nothing happens, that's when I'll take the dog for a walk or meditate. Because I'm like, Okay, I need a break. My brain needs a break. And then I'll come back to it after that. I mean, how much better would the world be if we could all convincingly tell ourselves once in a while, it's okay. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> yes. I, I don't know what it is, but I feel like that is that there is some magic in that phrase if you believe it when you tell it to yourself. It also works on other people, by the way, but you probably need to tell it to yourself more than anybody else. Yeah, that's for sure. Carl, we're starting a new thing on the show where we like to finish up just kind of sharing what we're reading. Uh, we just sprung this on you. I, do you have something you're reading you'd like to share? Um, what, what are you yeah, reading these yeah. days? Yeah. Um, so uh, The 24-Hour Rule uh, by Adrian. I have it right here on my shelf. Uh, Bella Humor. Um, and what's The 24-Hour Rule is basically within 24 hours, you should document um, – your findings, your learnings. And so if you're in a meeting, um, you know, write down uh, what you've learned. And it might be just the th top three things that you've learned in that meeting. Uh, if you're uh, trying to reach out to uh, some clients or doing it a certain way, um, write down what you've learned um, and do it within 24 hours. And this is important because you're much more likely to remember it. And then you have it documented so you can always go back to it. But I found uh, since I've been doing that, I, I don't need to go back to it because I wrote it down and it helps commit it to memory. And it just makes it easier to remember things. So it's a great book. The 20, It's not a sexy book. It's not like, you know, uh, life-changing. But if you go through it, you realize how important writing things down can be if you do it within 24 hours. Pensive effect. Yeah, exactly. What about you, Mike? Uh, I, I hate to ask Mike this question because he's, he reads like three books for every book I read, but <laughs> all right, Mike, what book are you reading now? Uh, well, um, this one may be interesting to uh, Carl because we were at a convert kit 
conference, um, Brendan Dunn has a new book out called This Is Personal, which is about email marketing. And uh, that will be very exciting for a small group of nerds. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's really, really good. And the whole gist of it is um, that people actually don't mind when you email them as long as you are emailing them about things that are relevant to them. So it's not trying to collect all this data and figure out you know who are the people who fall into this bucket for me but it's just treating people like people and showing them things that they may be interested in uh it's a very human approach to email marketing shall we say and i like brendan dunn's uh, approach to this kind of stuff a lot okay so every time mike and i have a telephone conversation and he tells me a book that i buy i ring the bell so i'm sharing it with the podcast audience (laughs) I, i i bought that one all right my book is uh more of a pamphlet. It's only 10 pages long. It's called On the Tranquility of the Mind by Seneca. It's a recording of a conversation he had. I love reading ancients. The thing that's fascinating to me is how they struggled with the same problems we do now, and they came up with a lot of the same solutions. And it just reminds me that we're all on this treadmill together. And uh, it's, it's just fun. It's a short read. I think it's free on Amazon if you read it on a Kindle. But uh, I just went back and reread it. It was fun because I had read it like three years ago. And looking at my highlights and then reading it again, I'm getting different insights from it on the second read. And uh, it's, it's a good short one. All right, gang. Uh, we are the Focus Podcast. You can find us at relay.fm slash focus. Carl, where can you find Where can folks find you? Yeah. Uh, so I have a pat- podcast called Dig to Fly. Uh, and we dig into these stuff. You know me with processes. Uh, we dig into their struggles and then come. Uh, uh, then they have the they explain the frameworks they use to overcome it. So dig to fly is the podcast, and then the website is sopguide.com, uh, standard operating procedures guide.com. So sopguide.com, and then they if they uh, want, uh, I have a quick start guide uh, there that they can um, download. So. Uh, I can put, I can send you that link so you can put in the show notes. We will do that. And uh, thank you to our sponsors, Squarespace, Electric, and Indeed. Uh, For those of you that are deep focus subscribers, that's the extended ad-free version of the show. uh, The three of us are going to dig a little deeper on journaling. That came up several times during the show. I want to know the SOP guys journaling SOPs. (laughs) So we're going to be asking him about that. Otherwise, we'll see you next time.